This week, Sister Hannah Troxell teaches a lesson called The Cost of Sacrifice. I am sad that Brother Lopez is not here, but I'm excited. Um, I think it's actually my one of my youth pastors from my home church goes to Bourbon, so I feel excited that he gets to hear, that his family gets to hear Brother Lopez today. Um, as always, I'm so thankful for the Lopez's. They are just like the coolest people. If you guys haven't got to know them, you, you need to. Just bother them, bug them until they let you know. No, I'm just kidding. They are wonderful people, and I appreciate them. Um, I'm going to teach tonight, and it might be kind of like a part two to what I taught last time. So since I didn't go very long, apparently there was more to that story-ish. I don't know. It felt like it was the same thing to me, and I was like, Lord, I think I just taught on this. So could we find something else? And uh, he said no. So... Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, if you will, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. This uh, story is about um, David, and he has ignored the instruction from the Lord, and he has went ahead and numbered the people. And judgment has been sent to all the people because of David's sin. This story is parallel in 1 Chronicles 21, and then we have it again in uh, 2 Samuel 24. Um, there's like a pestilence, and judgment is being sent, and lives are being taken because David failed to surrender to the Lord. Has anyone ever failed before, and it's like kind of put other people in a bad spot too? Yeah, because that happens to me a lot, I feel. So I was almost encouraged to read this by David, except it's really awful. Like people, like there's a pestilence sent. And David is feeling really bad about it, uh, as, as we all would. And he repents and says, you know, God, like I'm the one that sinned. Should these sheep also be punished? Should all these people be punished too? And so in the Lord's mercy, he speaks to the angel and the angel speaks to the prophet and he says tell David to go up and set an altar for the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan I'm going to read 2nd Samuel 24 18 it says and Gad came that day to David and said unto him go up rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite and David according to the saying of Gad went up as the Lord commanded and Ornan looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Ornan went out and bowed himself before the king on his face and the ground. And Ornan said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Ornan as a king give unto the king. And Ornan said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king, David, said unto Ornan, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. 
David says, I can't offer a sacrifice when it cost me nothing. A sacrifice has to cost. I, um, I taught at IPS, and when I taught there, I had um, kind of a rough area, like 38th and Arlington. It's kind of where I was at. I had no idea going in. I'm not from Indianapolis, so I'm like, yeah, sounds good. It was a pretty rough area. All of my students had free lunch. And so um, there was a bank that was partnered with our school, and they had raised money to buy every kid in our school a Christmas present, which was really special. I mean, I think most of the kids were probably going to, you know, parents really sacrifice to give their kids something. But these kids were in real need. And it's Christmas. Everyone wants to open up a gift at Christmas. So they got to go tell Santa, like, one of eight gifts that they wanted. And so the last week before Christmas break, we bring in these presents, we pass them out to all the kids, and they've got baby dolls and Barbie dolls and footballs and shoots and ladders and all these games. It was the coolest thing ever to watch 20 kindergartners open Christmas presents. And one of my students, he comes up to me, he's like, Miss Troxel, how come you ain't opened no present? <laughs> I was like, um, well, you know, I'm gonna open presents with my family and my friends later. I, I'm just not opening any today. And I could tell that it bothered him, but I'm like, okay, what is he gonna do? So I see him, he like skips off to his seat, and he comes back a few minutes later, and he has He's taken a little extra strip of wrapping paper that he'd ripped off when he had opened his present. And he's taken his glue stick and he's wrapped this little piece of wrapping paper around two used crowns. And he brings it to me and he says, Merry Christmas. And I was like, you didn't have to get me anything. You know, I'm acting all excited. Like I don't know what's in the wrapping paper and the crowns are like sticking out on both ends. And he was so excited to be able to give something. And my heart was really touched. I'm a feeler, so I was already, like, feeling. But this kid knew that he was supposed to give something. And I was so appreciative of it. I don't still have the used crowns, but I did take a picture of them. So I was going to show that to you tonight, but it just didn't work out. The, the fact that he was willing to give something, a kid that didn't have anything, a kid whose family didn't really have anything, a kid who had nothing found something to give, and he gave it all. And as much as, as I was appreciative of that, I'm not even his mom. I was just a teacher for one year. How much more excited is the Lord when we say, okay, no matter what little I have, I'm going to give it to you. No matter if it's just a small thing, no matter if it's just two used crowns, the Lord wants you to give what you have. In the Bible, there were women who sacrificed. There's the widow who gave it all. If we could turn to Mark chapter 12, it talks about the widow who gave the two mites. I looked it up. Different people said different things. They said it was one one-hundredth of a cent. What I found on Blue Letter Bible is what I'm going to go with, and they said it was one-fifth of a cent, one mite. She gave two mites, which is a farthing, which equals about three-eighths of a cent. So Mark 12, 41 and 48. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people 
cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. So like three-eighths of one penny. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which hath cast in into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. You see, God doesn't just measure our gifts by the amount that we give, but he measures by what it costs us. How much did it cost that kindergartner to give me two crowns? I'm telling you what, I taught kindergarten and crowns are like precious. Like they are golden. And if someone takes your crown, it's over. So this woman gave her all, as much as her living, even all her living, it says. And God was saying, hey, these rich people can come in and dump in all kinds of money. Yeah, that's great. But she gave her all. In John 12, 2 through 8, we have the story of the alabaster box. My roommate brought me back this cutest little alabaster box when she went to Greece. So I brought that. It's really cute. She poured in a, a pound, I believe it was. This, this would not hold a pound. I'm just going to let you guys know, but it is pretty cool. In John 12, 2 through 8, we have the story. It says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my buying hath she kept this, of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. I like that Jesus speaks directly to Judas and says, Hey, let her alone. She's giving what she has to give. I uh, was studying this lesson, and I knew that Sister Barkas talked about this in uh, Women of the Bible, and I didn't have my Women of the Bible binder with me. It was at school, and I was at home studying, and I remembered that I'd recorded it, and so I was able to, like, dig it up on my computer pretty quickly, and so I listened to this last night, and uh, Sister Barkas's lesson reminded me that just one drop of this spike nerd behind the ear would last a week. The smell was so potent. And Mary came and poured a pound of it on Jesus. I'm going to say that's pretty strong. Have you guys ever smelt someone with really strong perfume? Shocking, right? I kind of wonder if Judas was like, hey, not only is this costly, but this is shocking to everyone right now. 
you know, Mary, I wonder if in her heart, I don't know, it doesn't say this in the Bible, I'm just wondering if it was me and I was there and I was doing it, I'm like, okay, well, if I pour half a pound on him and then we sell the other half, could, could we give that money to the poor? Could we use that money to feed us tomorrow? Could we do something for the kingdom with this? But Mary knew something greater. It costs me if I give it all. It's a sacrifice when I give it all. When I said, I surrender all, she knew I can't keep half of it. I've got to pour it all out. So she broke the box and poured out a pound, and it says the house filled with the odor of the ointment. And then it says that Mary knelt down and washed Jesus' feet and dried it with her hair. And Sister Barkas pointed out an interesting thought that, you know, as she was down there, I'm sure that smell kind of got back on her as it's pretty strong. And as she's wiping his feet, she had to walk away with their smelling like that ointment. So as she poured it all out for Jesus, it's like he said, all right, remember this for a while, okay? Because just one drop behind the ear is going to last a week. So I wonder if in the days to come when Jesus was on the cross, if she kind of smelled that fragrance of that spikenard that she would have poured out. You know, I really love a good deal. I love shopping. It's probably a problem. But the part of it that I love the most is really clearance. I love bargains. I'm pretty drawn to a clearance sign any day. I had a friend at IU and we would always go shopping and she said, you know, it's really not a deal if you didn't go in looking for it. And I'm like, you don't know how to shop. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a new friend. I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but really, a deal is really good. And I really love half-price books. Does anyone shop there? Half-price books? If you haven't been, you need to go, like, tomorrow. Um, they have half-price books. And I love reading, so it's really awesome. But there's an even better place called the Half-Price Books Outlet in Bloomington. So not only are the books half-price, now they're like at a discounted rate. So I went to the outlet in Bloomington and they had this sign and I had this picture also, but I didn't bring it. And it was a sign saying that these certain books were on sale that day. It was a bargain and I was so excited. And I go up to the sign and it just kind of caught me. It says, bargain religion. And I'm like, okay, well, I love a good deal, but is it okay to buy a book from Bargain Religion? Like, is this heresy, Brother Kilman? Probably. There were all kinds of other signs on there, and it was not just Christianity books on sale. So it was kind of Bargain Religion. But I wonder if sometimes we kind of put ourselves so close to the culture that we forget that so many people in our culture want a bargain religion. You know, a religion they can pick and choose from, a religion they can bargain with, a religion that will form to what each and every person wants. Every day of the week, if you change your mind, that's okay. 
Everyone wants kind of like a, a jello religion. It's not really a solid and it's not really a liquid. It's just kind of floating here in the middle and will mold to whatever shape you put it in. But it's not really solid. It has no firm foundation. I think we all know that the homosexual agenda is to tear down the importance of the family. And it's happening and crumbling before our very eyes. Churches are backing down and bargaining, becoming open and affirming. They're even inviting other homosexuals to come hold conferences at their church on how to be more open and affirming. When I was in Boston a, a, few, week, a few weeks ago, um, we were on the Yale campus and they, every church, like on every corner, had these big banners of like a rainbow or all are welcome. And all is in capital letters, kind of just saying, everyone, we're open, we're affirming. One sign even said, but this truth is not a bargain religion. It's not something we can pick and choose from, something we can decide what matters when it makes us feel uncomfortable. Matthew 24 said that the word of the Lord is going to stand. Everything else is going to pass away, but the word of the Lord is going to stand. It's not a bargain, and it's not going anywhere. It will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. I really hate change, and I remember my senior year at IBC, I was praying in chapel. I think it was, it wasn't the last chapel, but it was in April, so it was like leading up to one of the last chapels, and I know that everything in my life is getting ready to change, and I have no idea I didn't even know how much it was going to change at that point, but I felt it coming. And I just remember praying, saying, God, I'm really scared about everything that has to happen. And I know that the Lord spoke to me and said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't matter that everything around you is changing, but I am the same. In geography, I teach on one of the parts of geography, one of the elements is culture. And the definition of culture is the way of life. We go over this in class all the time. It means like what kinds of food they eat, what kind of jobs they have, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of religions they practice, what they do day to day, their day to day life. And over and over again in Judges, we are reminded that the Canaanites dwelt among them, the Israelites. Their cultures were right next to each other. One commentary said it like this. We sometimes get the idea that the Israelites settled thickly and evenly throughout the land with only a picket fence to tell where one tribe's land ended and the next began and that they all met together for church on Saturday morning, but it was not like this at all. They were scattered all over the countryside, intermingled with pagan Canaanites and separated from one another by valleys, rivers, ravines, mountains, and enemy-held territory. It is a cause for genuine wonder that they were able to maintain any sense of unity and identity as the covenant people of Yahweh. And that's just like us today. As we are intermingled and we have to work with and talk to and reach out to and witness to the culture that completely clashes 
against us. And they say, oh, that doesn't really matter. Oh, that's an Old Testament verse. Oh, well, that was just Paul speaking. That wasn't Jesus. Or that was just Peter speaking. And no, no, no. This word is inspired. This word is divinely inspired. And it is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for instruction. It is for us. And it is not a bargain deal. You can't give a little and take a little. You got to give it all. We've got to be at the point where we're okay with giving it all. Even though they were among the Canaanites, and even though we're against the world, it feels like the Bible is still clear that we must come out from among them and be ye separate. We cannot afford to bargain with the world. Back to the story of the threshing floor. Honestly, when I, I read this, I was reading this, I don't know, a couple months ago in Second Samuel. And I'm like, a threshing floor? I don't really know if I know what that is. I don't. So I was trying to find it. And I found this commentary. And I probably had to read like five different ones until it finally started clicking. But that's kind of how my mind works. Thompson said it like this. The construction of the floors is pretty simple. A circular space from 30 to 50 feet in diameter. It's made level, if not naturally so, and the ground is smoothed off and beaten solid so that the earth may not mingle with the grain during threshing. In times, the floors, especially on mountains, are covered. Daniel calls them the summer threshing, and this is the appropriate name since they are only used in the summer. The most common method of threshing was that the oxen alone were driven over the grain so that they could thresh it. The animals walked over the layer of grain as it laid on the threshing floor, and their hooves did the work of the threshing. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew root word of threshing, means to trample down or to tread underfoot. So this is the the oxen going over it. Still, I'm wondering, like, okay, why? Why does this have any importance in this story of David? And it says... That the threshing process accomplish what what the threshing process accomplishes is that the heavy sledges are drawn over the layer of straw and they rub out the grain. So it causes like the the straw to to come up on level and the grain to go down. So it like separates the straw from the grain in the wheat. The straw, because it's light, remains on the surface and slowly it's broken into pieces. So not only is the wheat threshed out, but the straw at the same time, is now prepared to feed cattle. But why, I'm still wondering, would God ask David? So, you know, this is the story at the beginning. David has sinned against God and counted, numbered the people, and so an angel has come, and there's judgment coming, and David's like, no, 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 don't, don't bring judgment on all the people. It was my fault. I did the sin. Please, God, forgive me. And so God, in his mercy, says, okay, Let's fix this. So he tells the angel to tell the prophet to tell David, go build an altar on the threshing floor. And I'm still wondering, why is it such a big deal that David has to go to the threshing floor? Why can't he just build an altar where he's at? Certainly, this threshing floor seems like a pretty simple, kind of a boring place. I mean, it's kind of cool that the the straw comes to the top and the wheat goes to the bottom. But other than that, it's nothing I'd like to watch or, you know, 
a couple of hours or anything. It kind of reminded me of, we were trying to plan a middle school field trip this year and we ended up going to the Air, Fu Air Force Museum, which was totally cool. The middle schoolers loved it. I loved it. It was really cool. Brother Barkus was like, we should take them to like the Amish community. And I'm like, what are these 12 year olds going to do? He's like, no, they'll really like it, which I kind of agree, I think they would. But I know that if I told the 12 year olds we were going to watch the Amish work and that they were going to work, they would not have it. There's 53 of them and they're all bigger than me. So I could not tell them we were going to watch the Amish at work. And that's kind of what I'm reminded of here. Like, here we go. We're just taking the oxen over the threshing wheat. Like, God, why? It's kind of an ordinary place. It wasn't magnificent of size, beauty, or construction. It's just the rock that the feet of the oxen had tread out the wheat. So would God really meet them in the threshing floor? But certainly, God has met men and women in prisons, caves, the belly of the, or the, belly of the whale. Spurgeon said this, On the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, God did meet with David. And in your workroom, at your bench, on your bed, or behind the hedge, or in the corner of a railway carriage, the Lord will hear you and commune with you. You see, God did meet David there that day. When David repented, God was there. Ornan offers to give the threshing floor and offers to give cattle to sacrifice. But David said, no, Ornan, it's, it's not that kind of thing. I have to pay for a sacrifice. It has to cost me. David knew that religion that costs you nothing is worth nothing. You see, the threshing floor where David was told to sacrifice was on Mount Moriah, the same place where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And this, we read, is the place where the Lord tells David that this is where the temple of God is to be built. This completely ordinary, boring place as I thought about it. This was the place where Abraham was willing to give his all. And this was the place where the temple of the Lord would be built. And people could come to give their all. Because if we're not giving our all, then it's not really a sacrifice. In closing, I believe God is going to meet us here tonight. However, it is going to cost you. And you have to be willing to pay the cost. Buy the truth and sell it not. It's not a bargain deal. Music, if you could please come. It's not about who can pay the least and get the most. It's just you. It's just me. Am I willing to give it all? These are the last days, and the cost is great. In the Middle East, people are literally giving their lives. The cost is great, but eternity 
is greater. And the cost is simply all that you have. You know, Judas questions Mary about her pouring out her spikener. And he says, wait, you shouldn't have done that. Don't you know? Are you crazy? How could you give all of that? You wasted it. Judas questions her when it was his motives were the ones that were in question. You see, sometimes people aren't gonna understand you deciding to give it all. Not everyone's gonna be okay with you saying, I surrender all. They're gonna say, oh, you're too legalistic. That doesn't really matter. And you've gotta say, I have to give my all. And you know what? Mary didn't have to turn around and have a conversation with them. Jesus said, let her alone. It's going to cost you to stand for biblical holiness. It's going to cost you to say, I'm a little bit uncomfortable at this place, wherever you happen to be. I, I'm a little uncomfortable listening to that or watching that. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some friends. It's, it's, it's going to cost you. Brother Kilman, I told you that some of my friends that even I went to IBC with have already walked away. It hurts because you're saying, well, but we, we sat in Brother Kilman's holiness class together. Don't, don't, don't you remember? And, and, and we took poetic books and, and we took Christology. Like, don't, don't you know what, what's in here? So I feel the cost. But if it doesn't, cost me, then it's not a sacrifice. It's going to cost you to stand behind the word of God. It's going to cost you to support your pastor. It's going to cost you to say, no, we're not going to talk bad about it. He's a man of God. And there will always be people who will take the easy way out. And they will always want to point fingers at you to make you feel like you're in the wrong. But just let Jesus speak for you. Let her alone. I ask you tonight, what is the all that God is asking from you? We could just stand. Let's sing with this worship team. Just want to challenge you. Now, whatever the all that God is asking from you, whatever you have to give. Withholding nothing Withholding